This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani. And Paul, I am so excited. And thank you for making this connection. But we have a special guest with us today. It is uh, Zarna Garg, comedian, TikToker, writer. I mean, you're doing all the things. So we're honored to have you here. Thank you. Role thank model. you so much for having Oh, my God. No, no. <laughs> I will give you many reasons why I'm not a role model to anybody. Yeah, potentially uh, author of the future guide on how to deal with a mother-in-law. I mean, I think that would be a great book. For those that don't know, but I'm sure everyone knows because Zarna Garg is like the biggest star in South Asian comedy, maybe comedy overall right now. Super famous. We'll do a little bit of background on her, but the show is going to be more about the business and legal side behind Zarna's career, her success and some other themes that we think are important in the community and in entertainment at large. So for those that don't know, Zarna recently, Mother's Day weekend, had her special on Amazon drop, one in a billion. Congrats on that. It was hilarious, phenomenal. I was laughing out loud throughout. Hits a lot of things in the South Asian community. And Zarna and I, we actually met during the pandemic. She spoke at a panel through Sabani, she was, it was about alternative careers once you've been a lawyer. And I went up to Zarna because she was a comedian. And I was like, oh my God, you're, that's so inspiring. By the way, I'm an entertainment lawyer. Do you need one? <laughs> and we became friends and stayed in touch. And that was actually before Mesh and I had done our first episode of Better Call Paul. So we had the idea of Better Call Paul and we had approached my firm about potentially doing one, but we hadn't actually released any episodes. And I told Zarna when I saw her again a few months later that she inspired me to really like embrace being a, a content creator and just like instead of being afraid of, oh, well, what if people don't like it? Just like go for it and see how you do and, and try to improve. And Zarna, do you want to give us any background or anything specific? I remember when we met at that Sabni event and I was like, when I got invited to speak on alternative careers, I was in two minds whether I should go for it or not, because I feel like I'm such a black sheep in everything I do. I, I don't want to advocate to it. I make crazy decisions all the time. 
and my risk taking is not really that methodical it's a lot of gut instinct saying do it and i just jump into it feet first so i wasn't really sure that i was the right person to go for this for that event where we were supposed to talk about alternative careers because a career to me is something that is defined with a beautiful well laid out plat- path like law or medicine or accounting the, the reasons those careers are popular in our community is because the path is laid out you know you go to school you get a degree you get a license these are the top jobs you can get or you can start your own thing comedy to me was such a wild wild west you know when i entered the business i had no idea what i was doing but i decided to go for that chat and that panel talk because i realized that i think there are a lot of people looking to do something unconventional and are willing to take the risks the way i did i think that today even in our south asian community there are a lot of people who are not necessarily looking for that more well defined and secure path and i thought maybe i'll speak to one person in the audience and it will be worth something and it happened to be that you and i connected there paul right it was totally worth it and i remember and and you mentioned this in your uh, comedy special and anyone that hasn't seen it it's one in a billion on amazon prime definitely check it out rewatch it so you're a mom and you're also a comedian and they're all related and there's many podcasts where you discuss your transition and and backstory and we don't need to dig into that here but i would say that in relation to what you just said so my parents i when i was a kid i wanted to be a tv weather person <laughs> and my mom and dad were both like why you know cuz we would watch the news i'd be like oh the weather guy seems like they're on for 5 minutes or less and it seems like a pretty pleasant thing i'm sure they get paid well and my parents were always like well sure once you go to grad school or med school and finish your residency yeah. then you can do what you want to do but <laughs> yeah. not until all of that has happened so You know, and your advice to your kids is, you know, STEM, study STEM, go to a great school, play the safe game. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And they think I'm a hypocrite, and I am. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I own it proudly. Well, Mesh actually. Um, well, yeah, I was, I was about to say, like, Mesh wanted to be a recording artist. Yeah, I, I, I had a bit of a different upbringing. My, my, my dad is Pakistani, and my mom's from Bangladesh, and I, and I grew up in that part of the world for the first eighteen years. My dad was an entrepreneur. So like he started and failed numerous times and then became successful and um I wanted to pursue being a songwriter and I wanted to be in publishing and I wanted to write songs for people. And the good thing is that they were very encouraging of that. But at the same time I was like working with him. So it was kind of like, like like you can go and explore the things you want to do. Yeah. Um and, and funny enough I am now, you know, more on that entrepreneurial founder road, but coming to new york and trying to do music like i have so much respect for what you do because it's such a grind in those early days and i don't think you you can't really care about making it quote unquote like making it every day is like get to the next show get people in get better get better and don't worry about making money or like being famous cuz like those are really outliers and i think those who stay true to the craft do eventually make it and especially comedy is, is so tough because at least with music you know people can they're not going to boo you they're not going to yell at you or heckle you <laughs> yeah. you can't really hear them but with comedy yeah. if they don't say anything it's kind of like how do you keep going yeah i mean that's part of the challenge hey 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Obviously, your comedy career was like your second career. You had been a lawyer, then stay at home mom for a decade and a half. Then you get into comedy. Can you sort of give us a couple of things that were critical to your success? You know, humble beginnings, starting out as an outsider. A lot of people born into it. They go to USC or UCLA. They start when they're in college or whatever doing improv. How did you break in from such a different starting point? You know, I think I came in at an age. I came in at 40-something, 43 or 44. There are pros and cons just doing something at at my age, at 40-something, right? Like, you don't have, you've lost years of experimenting and in comedy, it would be years of doing open mics and, and being part of that community that hangs. I just never had the luxury to do that. But the big pro was that I came in with a very clear mind, with complete clarity. What exactly do I want to accomplish if I do this? And what is the easiest way to accomplish it? Or what are the two, three paths that can get me there? You know, sometimes having restrictions is also liberating because it, it defines all your choices for you. My kids famously suggested to me that I should do comedy. So this was feedback from my kids on my own, I would have never imagined it. I mean, first of all, Indians and fun and comedy don't go hand in hand. We Brown people don't believe in fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We believe in punishing ourselves to the nth degree. So I, my Brown kids lawyers come especially. up with the idea. Right? See, you're speaking from experience. Um, my kids, when they said you should do this and, you know, for those who don't know, that journey is well documented in other places. So I'm not gonna I'm gonna get into the nitty gritty of it. Something that can help your audience is that when I went for the first open mic and realized that there may be a grain of comedy talent, just to just to spec the first open mic. So I immediately went home and I started looking up other comedians and what are they doing? What are they making money doing? Because I knew that whatever I did had to be a business, had to be a viable business. I'm, I'm a mother. I have three kids. I At the time when I started, I had two heading to college. Wow. I didn't have the luxury to indulge in a passion. Like I really didn't. You know, and, and it would be hard for me to justify why as a licensed New York State lawyer, 
I'm not just practicing law. It is an income. You know what I mean? Sure. So immediately I started looking up what are other comics doing successful comics? What are their revenue streams? How did they develop those? And a few things popped up right away. First of all, clean comedy has a market. Yeah. If you can be funny, and I don't even mean ha ha ha, laugh out loud funny. That's ideal. But if you can even be like mid-level funny, but clean, there are a lot of places that you can monetize that skill because every company, sure, every, yeah, families. every family event, everybody is looking for something like mm. that where, where you can be clean and entertaining. And, you know, entertaining is a whole spectrum. Not everybody is going to be laugh out loud funny, but no corporate event is going to hire a comedian who's brilliant and hilarious, but drops the F-bomb unexpectedly. Right. It's just not how it's going to work. So I I was like, okay, note to self, only clean comedy. Because there's no point going down the road of using the the curse language or curse words, either as a crutch or as an act, because it's not going to take me to where I need to go. Then I looked up what are the other ways in which the comedy business is leveraged? What are the other things that people do besides actually just being a club comic? Because the club comedy scene as all established businesses, is dominated by gatekeepers. Yeah. The club booker has to like you. The talent manager has to see you. Yeah. And you can't control all that. You just can't. There are some phenomenal comics right now that I know in New York that just don't get past the gates mm -hmm. for any number of reasons. And I knew that there were so many strikes against me to begin with. I was older. I'm a, I'm a minority brown woman. I'm a woman with an accent. And I dress the way I do. I was very clear that if I do this, I'm going to be exactly who I am. Because as an artist, I believe that the only way I can connect with people is by being 100% who I am. Because... The audiences are so perceptive in every medium today. I really believe it. They pick up on, like if you're putting on an act, you better be an Oscar level actor because the audience is going to get you. They're going to know that you're full of shit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, people like authenticity. They, they This Note new generation self. has... <laughs> well, but that's why your podcast be is more authentic, Because you Paul. really wanted to do it. <laughs> be more authentic. Better call Paul, Paul. Mm -hmm. Um, no, but I really, so two, three things defined the criteria of how I'm going to enter the business and, and they became my North star for nothing. And for nobody was I going to deviate from the, from those principles. Do you know what I mean? And then that made the entry a little bit like, okay, now I know these are the things I'm going to do. And now I'm going to find the people who are going to find value in this. You speak like a founder. <laughs> Like you speak like like an entrepreneur. Your career has taken off, you know, at light speed. I know the pandemic disrupted things, but it really has been phenomenally fast, faster than um, you know anyone I can think of in recent memory, and that's rare. But so let me ask you: when you started getting booked and then started transitioning from club shows to comedy specials that were being telecast or streamed, or you wrote a very successful screenplay or a highly awarded screenplay, and you're, you're doing other things in film and TV. When did you feel like you could start negotiating your deals? And did you ever think, oh, wow, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. I just need to take what comes in front of me. Because a lot of clients, when they're starting out, feel like they just have to sign the piece of paper that's in front of them. 
I understand that insecurity. I do. And just to go, get back to Meshwar a minute, I do think like a founder. I think of my career as well, a business. Well, you are a founder, yeah. yeah. That, that I am building and I, I feel in my head, I have an obligation to my shareholders. That is my family. I have turned my family into my shareholders and been like, I have an obligation to do right by them because I'm taking time away from them. I'm taking family resources away from them. As a mother, I have a lot of responsibilities that I cannot fulfill when I'm doing other things. So I really treat every decision as what is the cost benefit of this project. And now coming back to what you're saying, Paul, I too had a, had a short period of Okay, whatever the deal is, just sign it, just sign it, just get in through the door. And that's a balancing act because I do think that momentum is important. When people sit around in, para in analysis paralysis, that's not helping anybody. You cannot constantly be waiting, oh, there's a better thing around the bend. There's a lot of people mm -hmm. who will be like, oh, if I only get a deal with this platform, if I only get a deal... I was very confident early on that if my work went out into the world, People are going to like it. I just need to get it out into the world as fast as I can. So it's a delicate dance. There's some things that I accepted that were suboptimal that I was like, you know, I'm sure if I waited six months, I would get a better number. Maybe I would get a few thousand dollars more or whatever. But what is the value of that six months that I might lose? And wh what about the, the risk that I'm taking that this will not come, come around again? So it's, it's a delicate dance, but my overall perspective on this is that you teach the market how to value you. If you just accept everything that comes your way, then that becomes your valuation, that becomes your reputation, that becomes what you're worth. But if you say, no, I'm sorry, what I'm doing is actually quite exceptional and I, this does not work for me, then, you know, the field start, starts to clear out and the more serious players start making their way to you. Because market positioning, branding is also a thing. Like, I get invited. I'm sure you guys know there are so many South Asian events, like family events is that. I get invited for everybody's everything because they're very, they're loving, they're being inclusive. I get it. And also I have a big social media platform. So I know that they want the posts and the likes and all of that. And I get it. But I have decided that I will only show up to the things that really, really matter to me and speak to me because my presence has to mean something. And I have, I will decide what my presence means. Does that, does that make sense? Totally. And, and going back to like the founder thing, I mean, just to kind of as an analogy, it's almost like you when you were testing out your comedy and, you know, you're starting small. It's almost like an MVP. You have something. Now you're at scale and people are coming to you. Like even say, like from a valuations perspective, you have a bit more control now yeah. in terms of the deals that you do. And I think it's very similar to like a lot of like founder startup journeys is like in the early days, you're kind of like, you got to get the money in, you got to get the stuff to market. And then once you go and there's product market fit, not to use all the, yeah. the words, like yeah, yeah, that's yeah. when everybody wants a piece of you. And I, and I think to your point about doing those deals early on, instead of like pushing them out, it did give you experience. Like now you've yeah. seen the next deal and you know how to deal with that and you know what you want. Yeah. And you know, there is a way to finesse the suboptimal deals too. Right. I mean, you're a lawyer, you know, it's like you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater necessarily every time. Sometimes you take part of it, 
you hold off on part of it you know so i can be very creative when when a project comes my way that i'm like ah, i like this but i don't like that i can be very creative because i spend time trying to understand what it is that the project creator wants from me what's the value they're trying to extract from me and what do i want in return and let's see where we can meet and let's put a pin on all the things we disagree on because if we can meet at a at a valuable place for both of us then we'll work out the rest and if that original fit is just not there then there's no point wasting their time or my time and i've done a lot of things for free it's not like i came in and became like oh i'm a star take not at all in fact the first two years the entire pandemic i was doing shows for free I had a tree in uh, Central Park that was the Auntie Zarna tree because I truly believed in the community building aspect of it. I was like the world is coming to an end we're all dying anyway what am I saving the jokes for? And I would do everything for free and even though there was no money it kind of You got of, limitless jokes though. It's just in your essence. Well, listen, it's I, I'm in the business of joke writing, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? I can't be sitting there. I can't be sitting there and thinking uh you know oh don't burn the material that world ended like 10 years ago that was a previous generation of com- comedians who were like don't burn the material don't you know don't give out your jokes now you put everything out there but i have been very conscious about my own market position you know how people perceive me because i try to stick to the core of who i am and i'm not afraid to say no well i think that's a big part of it and and mesh i think you inherently have this being an entrepreneur founder and i didn't have this and then i decided to go into private practice but i think the thing that you said is let the market determine your valuation not some handful of gatekeepers that may right. or may not have right. your best interest in mind oh they're not going to have your best interest why would they yeah 100% they're not my my kids or my parents why would they give a shit This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com/ai4all. I think it's interesting when you think of like comics today and the really big ones. And when I say big, I, I think in terms of like success and like financial success as well, but like they're on multiple platforms and the ones that seem to be that level of success is similar to like musicians as well. It's like they are very business minded. Like it is a business. How did they then like, what are the new things that they get into? And I, I'm just curious and, and you know, I, I hope I'm not overstepping here, but like, do you have aspirations now as you get bigger and bigger, you know, beyond just like 
there's comedy and there's writing and that's already a lot but like getting into like similarly like how kevin hart has kind of built his empire like do you think about that stuff for down the road for what you would want for your family oh it's not down the road it's here amazing it's i mean already i run three businesses the way i see it i have my live touring comedy business I have my digital business, which I take very seriously. My TikTok, my Instagram. That's a whole thing. It's a whole yeah. beast of of its own. And you guys are running a podcast. You're, you're watching it yourself. It's like to do something well, you have to put in the hours. There's just no way around it. And then I have my writing business, you know, my screenwriting. It's not down the road. It's here. And I am constantly looking for what are different things I can disrupt where I can leverage my abilities and create something new, create a new offering into the world. I'm very optimistic about the market. Like I feel like there is plenty of space for all of us with diverse voices and a perspective. You just have to care enough to find that right fit and care enough to create a good product. The way you guys are, like this is such a brilliant podcast, the way I see it, because so many people don't understand the business and the legal side of of entertainment. So many people don't. I think, Paul, when you first mentioned it to me, I was like, brilliant, do it. Because I have a team and I don't understand what's happening mm-hmm. half the time. <laughs> right, and it's, well, it's evolving too. It's not like there's just one game plan. All the deals are snowflakes. We're always dealing with challenges. You know, the WGA striking, streaming versus linear, theatrical business, pandemics, whatever. So it's evolving really quickly. And you, as a business person, you know, you have so many things that are priorities for you, like creating content, branding yourself, all the verticals, the writing, the shows, the social media. It helps to have a second set of eyes or a team yeah. guide you through yeah. the strategy and what the other side is going to say and anticipating the negotiation and thinking about risks. So I did want to transition a little bit to the South Asian community because yeah. the three of us are South Asian. That's a common thread. And you and I met at a Sabani event and then we saw each other later at an event in my office. Shout out to Sean Gupta. And the South Asian community is having a moment. We just finished AAPI month. Mesh and I, we connected, not necessarily because we were South Asian, but the first time we were introduced, we had a call. We like hit it off like we had been, you know, best friends. And Mesh is an easy person to like. But what do you think of the South Asian community? Do you find that the moment that the South Asian community is having was necessary for you to ascend? Or do you think that it's a coincidence? I'm going to try to say it in a way that doesn't get me in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Uh, I think it helped me for sure. But I believe I would have succeeded with or without it. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I just think that my demographic has been so underrepresented in this business. There is no one else on this whole earth that does what I do. How many businesses can you say that about? No one else does Indian family, like no other Indian woman does Indian family. And actually, even the men who do it, they never talk about their mother-in-law. I mean, mother-in-law jokes are older than, I mean, in other cultures. They're universal. (laughs) We just as a people have not accepted that it's okay to make fun of it in our culture. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like, and, and if you think about the people who are consuming content right now, the people who are buying streaming services, buying movie tickets, you think brown women are not a huge demographic? Like right. I, you know, you know what I mean? So 
of course this moment and everything that came with this moment has helped me because i'm part of it but i truly believe that with or without it i would have made my mark just because no one else is doing it to add to that i would say that like there is a taste and an appetite now for like diverse voices and opinions like you see it in comedy all the time you see it in film all the time i mean those who've watched the new spider-man it's in that as well like people want more than just what they're used to i think you know you get enough of that and i think even when i watch your tiktoks it's like it's all very relatable to multiple people and they're being exposed to something different but you can relate to everyone at the end of the day and i think it's even beyond diversity and inclusion i think our communities the indian the bangladeshi the pakistani communities are kind of waking up to the idea that this is fun yeah we can have fun about our people and our stories without feeling guilty and without feeling shame and it's okay we're all part of one world like we don't have to watch seinfeld again because there is something <laughs> new happening that we relate to yeah. and nothing nothing against seinfeld we've all loved no, him for decades right but we i think us as a people we never imagined that we would be doing that kind of stuff you know so i think our people are also waking up and the more they like it the more they like south asian artists music art movies the more they're going to start questioning why isn't there more of this i agree Well, I think it's funny. You hit the nail on the head uh, with the hypocrisy line, right? So growing up, my parents, and my mom is a loyal listener, so she listens to every episode, although my dad, I don't think, has ever listened. Uh, <laughs> they would not have wanted me to go into comedy or podcasting or anything that was creative because it's risky. But then if they see an Indian that's made it as a writer or a comedian, they're like, oh, well, look at that person. They're doing so great. Why couldn't you do that? and it's like well you got to put the time in you got to you have to pursue it it's not like you just snap your fingers and it happens but it's that willingness to make it to take the risk to make it happen it's a necessary condition to satisfy it doesn't guarantee success but you have to have enough people willing to to take the shot well and you have to have enough people looking at like you've opened doors in the sense like wow look what zarna's done like maybe i can do that too like you know i mean it, it's still tough but do you think that kind of op- like maybe inspires like a younger generation to potentially like go for that younger and older i even tell my 50 60 70 year old followers like there is no age limit i mean social media there are any number of tiktok stars that are like over 50 60 that are huge tiktok stars you know to be really honest with you it never occurred to me that i was doing anything exceptional until people started asking me about it they're like oh this is your second act you started at 40 something i was like but that's how timing worked right. out it never occurred to me that i was doing anything so special it's just a matter of i had the kids and you know i couldn't leave the kids until they went to school it was very very practical driven so now i tell everybody it's not just the young generation i mean in our cultures and i, I don't know what it's like in your families but i suspect it's similar the older generation sometimes gives up easily ab to ho gaya hamara we're done now the next generation no you live your life till the last possible minute yeah why are you giving up a single day and i you know i speak to a lot of people who are in my age group even older than me i'm like and why do you feel like you can't do it? why are you waiting for your kids to do it 
there are any number of Indian uncles, okay? And I make fun of Indian uncles, so forgive me. <laughs> but there are Indian uncles who have a wealth of information about, like my own father-in-law is literally, he's a religious scholar. Mm. Only because he's intellectually interested in the whole Hinduism and the spirituality of it all. And I've been harassing him. I'm like, you should do a podcast. Yeah, because sure. you have so much information and knowledge that you could create little episodes and the world would listen and learn from you. And the beauty of the world we live in today in 2023 is that anything that you feel passionately about can be shared. And, and that kind of transitions into distribution and platforms that people have now. Like, I mean, I think TikTok was really the moment where like anyone can post something and not have the pressure and it can get picked up. And then you just keep going and you keep going. And uh, I, I know Paul had mentioned this at the beginning, but and it's part of your business, like creating that content, pushing it out. I mean, one, there's got to be like, there's a whole flow there. I'm sure it gets overwhelming. And like, how do you manage? Because like, there's so many people engaging with you on these platforms. How do you manage the balance of like, not only posting all the time, but taking like a break for your sanity from people just like talking at you? You know, I manage by being honest. I really, my follower base, my fan base is so smart is so intuitive that if I honestly posted a video and said, guys, I'm just overwhelmed right now. I need a 10 day yeah. break. Who's not going to understand that? They all understand. They're all human beings. They're all living full lives. And I really take that relationship that I have with my fans, whether in real life or digital or wherever I am, very, very seriously. Like if somebody is writing me a comment, I think my office, we process about 5,000 comments a week, but we make sure wow, every comment is responded to for a long right, time. Right. I mean, a long time because if somebody is taking time out of their day to write something to me, even if it's something I disagree with, we acknowledge it. Right. Because it is time. You know, we're in a time is our most valuable commodity. And somebody is giving a piece of that to us. So I, we really, you know, as a business, as my office, we take that very seriously. And also in our live shows, somebody shows up for a show, buys a ticket. I'm a mother, right? I know what all is involved. There's a babysitter. There is a car. There is gas. There's all kinds of things before you can show up to a live show. You have to take it very seriously. And, and I really do. And I think that because I treat my fans and my followers with respect, I get a lot of respect and love and understanding back. I love that. On the social media point, right, which you've used brilliantly to leverage and grow your audience, which, you know, Mesh and I would also like to do 1% as well as you. But there's also a lot of talk now, and I think a lot of it's valid about social media potentially being a double-edged sword and the ubiquitous nature, uh, you know, Instagram and the images that, you know, you can scroll through endlessly and sort of they're leading to high rates of depression, especially among teenage girls. What would you say? How can you use social media for a good and avoid some of the risks? Um, I think that in my case, my social media is primarily my business. It's a business account. So I'm not on social media to talk about my vacations and my big purchases or whatever. Even though I make videos about them, they're meant to be humorous. And that's what it's there for. So you have to be very clear what you're on social media to do. You have to have your purpose extremely clear so that with that clarity, you attract the followers that you want. 
See, people get lost in the numbers game. How many followers you have? To me, it's not how many followers you have. It's more how who is following you, and at what level is their engagement? Because I'm very conscious. Like my TikTok and my Instagram has a huge amount of industry followers. If you look it up, so many famous people follow me on both accounts. and it's deliberate because i talk about how i built the business i talk about the behind the scenes i and and of course entertainment which is front and forward of all my funny videos i think the depression sets in for people with young girls the hardest but for everybody in general when you using social media and comparing your life to other people's lives and and like it's a misallocated purpose to me Like I, I don't hang out on social media to check out where my friends are going on vacation. Right. It's just of no interest to me. Yeah, it's not about comparing yourself to others. It's about marketing yourself. It's marketing and it's building a community. Yeah, I see my digital space as as a digital town hall. Yeah, where people who relate to me and my sense of humor and my sensibility, it's like a digital home that they're visiting. You know how we used to stop by to have a cup of tea with our neighbors back in the day. This is the new version of it in my eyes. They just pop by, they see what Zarna is talking about, what they would like to add. They hop in and out, and then they come and go, and that's it. It's a very fleeting engagement, but it feels real because you're part of each other's community. So it's marketing, and it's also really a true digital community building experience. And I really believe this. where things fall apart on social media is that you sort of start looking at everybody else's life because your own purpose is a little bit lost it's unclear the people who are using social media for a very defined purpose are very successful right and they're very disciplined once they're done with their purpose they shut it off and they move on they have an actual real life in real life I think that's very well said. Does that help? Yeah, agreed. Like you guys have this podcast, right? If I was your marketing person, social media marketing person, I would only hyper focus on how I can get other creatives to follow my podcast. If I could get a thousand people who are doing nothing to follow, but those thousand followers would mean less to me than ten or fifteen or twenty creatives who are in the business who are hanging on to every word in your podcast because they're actually trying to learn. Yeah, the whole like a thousand true fans uh, blog post that was written just about it's like building that community, people that really value what you're doing and you value them, and and I, I think you've done that obviously to a T. So it's, it's it's pretty incredible to watch. You know, somebody gave me this advice, and I really believe it. I've repeated it many times: is that you don't get a thousand followers; you get one follower at a time, a thousand times. Mm -hmm. So the mistake people make on social media is just look at the numbers as if it's just numbers. It's not just number; it's people. It's people who are taking time out of their busy lives to give you something. So you have to treat them with that level of respect. For sure, Zarna. Obviously, want to be mindful of your time and you know wrap up here. But was curious, you know, we, this show we usually cover what's going on in Hollywood, what's going on in entertainment. It's like a weekly news show. Yeah. And, and just given all your experience, and obviously the fact that you write screenplays, you do writing. What are your thoughts now on like what's happening in media, both from the standpoint of like streaming, but also like what's going on. With the writer strike and how all that stuff affects it, creating content, creating shows, and then it goes on TV.、Um, do you have any general thoughts、um, on on what's happening in the industry right now? 
Yeah, I mean, look, I I feel for the riders. I'm a rider. I'm completely with the riders on the strike. A hundred percent. I think there needs to be an industry wide reset on the rules. Streaming is a whole another beast, and we have to account for how this new world works. There's just no getting around it. I think that that the streamers and the studios kind of got away with it for a long time, but we have to deal with it. Experimental. It's still experimental. <laughs> Paul is like, let me step in in case one of my big clients is listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Paul, experimental. I don't know. My Netflix subscription is 12 years old at this point. Oh I don't know what God, you're talking about. So but I think, um, here's the thing. I'm half a product of mainstream media and half social media because both are equally important to me. I personally find the level of control that the networks and streamers exert so suffocating like because they want to control everything they they don't you know as a compared to digital media where like you know how many views you have not only do you know everybody around you knows it's all up there like Tucker Carlson's episode that dropped on Twitter 2 days ago or 3 days ago the whole world saw whether it did well or not right right you right. know there there was right. no the, it operated with complete uh, uh, transparency and i kind of appreciate that aspect of social media I don't know how I would do in a world where I would have to hang on to a network telling me or deciding not to tell me, you know, or deciding yeah. that it's yeah. prop. And and then deciding that you might not have a show because of like you missed it by one number or whatever, it's not worth their costs anymore. Exactly. So I I feel a little suffocated by it and I do feel that that they're going to have to do something to recruit real good creators because otherwise everybody is just going to head right to this other world people who have something of value and they're confident in their abilities they're not going to put up with that level of scrutiny and that level of control for too long i don't think so i mean i don't see myself doing it i, I think that's i think that's very well said certainly not well you you're your own business but isn't every artist in some way you know well i don't think that's a shared mentality i think that's unique to you and i think there's uh, there's other examples throughout pop culture like drake and tyler perry of people who wanted to take ownership from day one because they didn't want someone else telling them what they could or couldn't make and then owning it, right? right? So I think your mentality, which is informed by the fact that you came into this more mature, if their terms don't work for you, it's not going to stop you from doing what you want to do. But of course, we have to exist in the world of traditional media and digital media. But I just think a lot of writers feel like if they don't have a studio or a streamer behind them, then they have nothing. Right, and I see that. Like, I—that's why I'm saying I'm with them on on the strike and on their topics. But I do think that ultimately they're gonna have to take control and build a product that is undeniable. Yeah, you know, in some way, every writer, every creator is going to have to become what a founder, because how do these tech founders? They create something that ultimately becomes undeniable, and people want a piece of it. Yeah. So I think that the that if if I was looking to hide in a writer's room in some way that's harder to do you know what I mean like I understand the insecurity of the writers and I feel a lot of it too but I think this strike is forcing us to explore other options it's like a correction this strike is forcing us it's a correction and it's it's going to force the market to correct on both sides right. Right. The streamers will have to come around, the studios will have to I know Paul you're dying. But 
They'll have to come I have around. both sides. <laughs> <laughs> but we will also, as creators, will have to do a real full in inner analysis of what is it that we're bringing to the table, how confident we feel yeah. about it. Very well said, Zarna. And um, thank you for being on our show and educating us and, and diving into a bit more of like the business side of all this. I mean, it, it really is true. Like you are a founder and I would say like an elite one. And so thanks for for sharing your knowledge with us. One in a billion. And, and Mesh, you yeah, don't know this, but every time I see Zarna, whether it's, you know, intended or by happenstance, she has advice. She's like, this BCP thing, it's going great. You know, mm -hmm. you should be making more content, tweeting it, LinkedIn, know, TikTok. She's all about <laughs> just like embrace it and, and just keep it coming. Like 24 seven, just creating content, building your brand. And it's all nothing but positive energy. So I can't thank you enough for coming on. No, I, I'm so honored. I think you guys are doing an amazing thing. It's actually a service to creators. And I, I really appreciate that you got me on and and I, I don't encourage anybody to do what I do. I'm the worst, honestly. I'm, I'm just going to tell you the big secret to my success is drugs. A lot of drugs. Okay. <laughs> Prescription drugs. Get your mind out of the gutter. Prescription drugs. Xanax, Prozac, oh like not, not the other stuff, but it's taken a lot of drugs to keep this act together for a while. <laughs> well, I love it. And uh, Zarna, thanks for, for being on our show. For everyone out there, make sure you go on Amazon Prime, watch One in a Billion, her comedy special. Make sure you watch it till completion. And obviously follow Zarna Garg on all socials, zarnagarg.com. Zarna, thank you so much for being with us. And Paul, thanks for, for having her on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Zarna. Thank you so much. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And make sure you're subscribed to us. Better call Paul on Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Better Call Paul, the podcast. And follow me on Twitter at Meshlakani. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week.